close of a time of the city, back of my neck getting sweaty and gritty. How about y'all? Good morning. I'm Scott Weatherford. You glad you're here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're going to continue this series on Uncommon in the book of Acts. And here we are. Goodness, it seems like I've been preaching through Acts forever. We've got three weeks left. And today we're going to be talking about a strange thing called conversion. Now, you see some guys with referee jerseys on. Guys, jump up like young deer to your feet. Do the best you can. Okay, these are guys refereeing upward football. You can referee upward football once or twice or three times this season, but we need you. Now, Corey, are we usually mean to the refs at upward football? No, it's the sweetest, kindest, gentlest. Colin, is it a safe job to do? Bucky, if they'll let you do it, will we let anybody do it? Anybody do it. Okay, you guys can be seated. You can see these guys, they'll sign you up. If you want to make a difference one week, two weeks, three weeks in this season, doing an incredible thing called Upward Football, then sign up because we use. Now, I would sign up for referee, and I want to, but I can't run. If you see me running, something bad's happening, probably going to eat me, so get in front of me, okay? <laughs> but that's, that's an opportunity to serve. But I will be doing devotions for Upward Football to be a part of that because it's an exciting opportunity. Now, when I say the word conversion, are you like me? A lot of things kind of run through your head. You're going like, hmm, what does that mean? Does that mean this or this or this or this? What is, what is conversion? And we have a lot of convoluted thoughts about this word. So I wrote this down, this definition of conversion, and it's going to be up on the screen for you. Conversion is a conviction in the heart that leads to a direction of your life. Now, what, I, what do I mean by that? That can our heart really make a decision? We see this, I'm talking about a decision of the will, where your intellect lines up with your emotions. And the ancients believed that the heart was the center of, the center of those willful decisions. Like, I'm going to be converted, then I need to have my heart line up with my head, that I'm going to make a decision of my intellect and my, and my emotions, that this is who I am. Conversion is always moving forward never in reverse, and it's not neutral. You cannot be converted and stay the same. Conversion is a trajectory. It leads to these things. Now, let's talk about these decisions of the heart and the mind. Did you know love is a decision based on commitment? It's not a feeling. It brings strong feelings, but it's not a feeling. It's a decision based on commitment. And there's sometimes the I will decision is the only thing that keeps you married, isn't it? I have decided to love this person who is currently inflicting great emotional distress on me. Usually it's not doing what I want them to do. So you make the I will decision. Because if you make the decision to only love when you feel like it, it'll be gone, gone, gone. Thank you, that's right. You can't depend on the feelings but it's the I decision. So the I will decision, get this. Many years ago, Tara converted me to her love. And I am, stead, I am steadfastly converted to her and her to me because it's a decision of the collision of the heart and the mind. Well, Jesus knows how you're wired. And he knows that you cannot have a life change without a conversion experience. There has to be a place where you make a decision that I'm going to pursue something from the heart and the mind. Not based on your feelings, even though strong feelings are going to follow that. But it's that decision that launches a trajectory of your life. 
Jesus had a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus had grown up in a system where it was all about keeping the rules. And Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. Now, Nicodemus answered it with the same thing we would say. Jesus, you can't go back in your mom and be born again. That's creepy. That's the Weatherford translation. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is a spiritual thing. This is a thing that happens in your heart and your mind that you have to have a conversion. And here in Acts chapter 16, we see an uncommon conversion that leads to an uncommon trajectory. Some things that happen that are spun out out of this decision. And I want to take you on this journey today because I think God wants to say something to you today. Here's the target. God wants to say something to you today who have not yet given your life to Christ. Whether you're listening online or whether you're in this room, that you've not yet made that commitment. God wants to speak to some of you who are kind of on the fence with Jesus. You kind of like him, you kind of want to follow him, and perhaps you call yourself spiritual, but it's kind of like a Sunday morning only kind of deal, or a Wednesday night only, or whatever, just kind of every now and then with Jesus. And some of you, you want to live all for Jesus. And this is going to be an inspiration to you to continue down the pathway of the conversion you've already started. And I want to be very honest with you. I'm preaching to me today. Y'all ain't getting nothing but gravy, leftovers. But I believe God wants to speak to you today because that's why we are gathered. Aren't you glad you're here? Back of your neck may be sweaty and gritty, but God's glad you're here in the summertime. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, Father, that you speak through me, that it's not what I think, but this will be an uncommon encounter with you and what you think. And I pray that you will shape our lives together as we live all for you. And I pray this all in your strong name. Amen. Go ahead and take out your notes. You're going to jot some stuff down. We're going to go quickly today uh, because some of you might want to be baptized today. And we're ready to do just that. Uncommon direction will launch an an uncommon conversion. So let me start reading out of Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and following. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, it'll be up on the screen and you can read with me. And they went, now who is they? That is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul and Barnabas had the big split. We talked about that last week. And they, then Paul and Silas went out, commissioned by the church. They picked up Timothy. And they went out through the region of Figura and Galea and had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Hmm. And when they had come to Maesia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What? So passing by Maesia, they went down to Troas. And, you know, that's, that's where Paul, that was his hometown. And when the vision appeared to Paul at night, a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen this vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedon- into Macedonia. Immediately he sought to go into Macedonia. There wasn't a debate. It was an immediate response. Concluding that God had called us to preach to the, to the gospel to them. Now, if you think about it, Macedonia, if you look at the map, Macedonia is located just north of Greece, and uh, it was the home of Alexander the Great who conquered the world. Philippi, where he would end up, was named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip. And so this was a place 
that was un... Paul had never been there. And God said to him, in a vision, a man of Macedonian, come. Some of y'all remember the old, the old uh, gospel hymn. We've heard the Macedonian call today, send the light, send the light. Well, I'll tell you about a Macedonian call I had that launched a whole trajectory. In fact, the pathway led to Wimberley. I was fishing in northern Alberta, Canada, way up north where you could smell Santa Claus's breath, way up there. I was on a mountain lake. I had caught a bunch of trout. I was having a lot of fun. That, little, that lake was full of fish, and I was having fun. I was going to do a men's retreat, and we kind of had broken between the fishing and the suppering, uh, the supper, and I was sitting on the back of the tailgate of a friend's pickup truck, of my pastor friend's pickup truck, and the only place you get cell service my phone rang, and I answered it. It was a church in Alabama, Vaughn Forest Church. And they said, Pastor Scott, please come rescue us. Well, I was pastoring a church in Canada that was pretty big. $10 million annual budget, uh, 5,000 people a weekend, roughly in attendance. 9,800 people attended that church on Easter Sunday in Canada. I was the lead pastor there. And this church, this church called. Everything in my logical mind should have said no. But everything in my heart said be open. Tara and I flew down there to visit with this church. We met with 10 different people, 10 different people groups, groups of people, about seven or eight each time, 10 of them. All of them said the same thing. They said this, please, pastor, come rescue us. In the logical and the vocational and the professional and the financial, we should have said no. But we've heard the Macedonian call, and we went. We went. The pathway through Alabama led through a pathway to working with my good friend Kevin Kruger in the 127 group, which led me to you. Y'all, I wasn't looking for a job when I came here but I was looking for a home for my heart. And Jesus had my yes before he ever asked. Dan just prayed that for us, that we would say yes to Jesus before he even uttered a direction. I get this from Paul, the Macedonian call. Now, because I'm so spiritual? No. <laughs> On my best days, I'm a dumpster fire. But because God is so faithful, and God is so good. He wants to do something so extraordinary with your life. But you've got to get out of the ordinary and the common. And you've got to get into the extraordinary, the adventurous wild of King Jesus. Not the safety of what you understand as religion. But the daring faith of living all for this one who gave us all for you. We just sang that stuff, y'all. Gave us all for you. Paul and Silas picked up Timothy and they began doing what they knew to do. Do you know you're always going to do what you know to do until you know what to do? Did you know that? You're going to do what you do until you know what to do. And so what these guys did, this is an example to me, to be faithful to God in the moment until he, he shows you the next. All right, being obedient to the Holy Spirit means doing the last thing you heard him say to do. So Paul and Timothy, Paul, Paul and Timothy and Silas, they started back to the churches that already planted. In fact, they said, if you look at chapter 16, verses 1 uh, through 5, they said, let us go back to the churches we started in Asia. Let's check on them. Let's see how they're doing. They're going back to do the same thing they've always done. 
Listen to me, y'all. Churches can get into that same rut. We'll do, we'll do the same thing we've always done. And do you know what a rut is? It's a grave with both ends kicked out. That's what it is. And ruts lead to death. And God says, no, I've got something for you. But here, the great obedience to these guys is they were doing the last thing they heard God say. They were being obedient. Many times, I wrote this down. I want to read it so you get it. Many times, we get so intent on finding the will of God in the future that we do not do the will of God in the present. In the present. Huh. We look for a future revelation when a current obedience is what Jesus wants. Why in the world would God show you a glorious future when you refuse to obey him in the present? I want to talk to you about something. I'm talking about the area of generosity, about giving of your time and your talents and your treasure, your resources. We'll say, Jesus, I'll do anything for you, but I'm not going to give because I don't trust you with my money. You know what that's called? Disobedient. The only thing in his word he says to test you on is giving. Now, some of you said, that preacher, he's after our money. You keep your money. I don't care. But Jesus is not after your money. He's after your heart, and he knows where your heart is, your treasure is as well. And so he says, test me on it. See that I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. Do you know why we give in the middle of our gatherings? Because Jesus needs to get paid. No. It's an act of worship. We want to say, Jesus, we're going to sing to you. We're going to pray to you. We're going to respond to you. We're going to let your word be bread and honey and milk and meat. And then we're going to show you, we're devoted to you by saying it's not about us, it's about you. And we're going to give to see his kingdom advanced. I want to tell you something. I got a text yesterday from my friend, Oswaldo Parmo, who's pastor in upstate New York, Ozzy. We call him Ozzy. Uh, Church in Vanny. He's the one that got us involved in Costa Rica and in Cuba and in Nicaragua. He sent me a text. He said, Pastor, I have a pastor friend in Ecuador who wants us to help him. I'm starting next week coaching him. He lives in the most dangerous, drug-infested place of the country, You know what I said to him? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Because we need to be obedient to the heavenly call. And in the now, obeying so he prepares us for the next. Relationship with Oswaldo in the now, the present, is leading to opportunities beyond what we could ever hope or imagine or think, all for King Jesus. Does that make sense to you guys? No? Okay. I'll try again. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. And so saying yes to him and obeying him and doing what he asked us to do. And this is what Paul and Timothy and Silas were doing. But here then God shows them this next thing. Paul had a vision that changed his direction. Come help us. And Paul immediately responded. Why? Because delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I would say this was almost a second conversion experience as per se for Paul. 
The first one was on the Damascus Road where, where guy, where Jesus saved him and he called him to be, a, uh, the, be the one, the, 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 uh, the messenger to the Gentiles, the, the preacher to the Gentiles. And then this one was one where Paul said, you know what, I've got to go to a place that I don't know, to a people I don't know, to do the thing I do know for King Jesus. And so he said yes, and he responded. Now, here's the question I asked myself as I read this. How did Paul know that he was forbidden to share the gospel in Maesia, in Troas, in Bithynia, in those places? Because he, he, he'd been there before. How did he know that he wasn't supposed to go there? I'll give you the answer. Resistance. Resistance. He experienced a spirit of resistance. As he went back, he wasn't accepted. There was no personal peace that welcomed him in. There was no response to the gospel. They might have said, hey, Paul, we got this. The churches are fine. You just go on. Who knows? He might have had somebody complaining. Silas, your new music man is going to come in here with all that newfangled music. We don't want that. I don't know. But resistance is a mark that God wants you to go someplace else and move on. Jesus said it this way. And wherever you go, do not, and wherever they do not receive you, when you, have, when you leave the town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Oh. So in other words, to follow Christ, we're supposed to be whimsical and attractive. And if people don't receive us, it's on them and not on us. And then we move to places where they will receive. Will receive. Now you say, well, well pastor, isn't it sometimes when you try to do things for Jesus, you're going to meet resistance and adversity is going to build character and character is going to build perseverance and perseverance is going to produce maturity and maturity is going to bring glory to God. Doesn't it work that way? Isn't it sometimes people just are cantankerous and don't want to work with you? Yeah. But there's a whole lot of other people that want to. I heard a pastor say one time, we spend too much time corralling goats we're supposed to lead sheep. Was that just bad? <laughs> but it's the whole thought, resistance. And if you find yourself in a place of ministry where there's resistance, you need to say, okay, God, is there something I'm missing here? Is there some other people that you want me to minister to? One thing I love about you, you guys here at this church, y'all put up with a whole lot of change that I have led. And I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, I'll make a confession to you. Last night, I didn't even tell Tara this. Last night, I got extremely sad. Extremely sad. I had a birthday on Thursday. And I turned none of your business. <laughs> and um, just the, the rush of my mortality came upon me. And I got sad because I thought, you know, I don't have that many years left to live all for Jesus. I don't have that many years left to help people know Christ and help churches become healthy. I don't have many years left. And I got sad because I want to live all for Jesus. I want to live as long as Jesus wants me to. Some of y'all are kind of praying the other. Go ahead, take him, Lord. He's a pain in the neck. But it's that, that unction, that drive to say, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. I wanted, and it's not about me, y'all. It's not about me. Not about me. But about King Jesus. And how can we live for him? And how can we stretch our days to live all of our days for this one who loves us for all of our days? And more. And more. 
Paul said yes. You see, an uncommon conversion will lead to an uncommon church plant. And this is what Paul did. Paul didn't blow in, blow, blow in, blow up, and blow out. Paul came in and he started a church because he knew the local church was the hope of the world. It wasn't the local parachurch or the local televangelist or ministry of traveling evangelists. It was a local church. So he started a church. Listen to this. So setting sail from Troas, he made a, he, he made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Nepopolis and then there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, a leading city of Macedonia. He went, he heard the Macedonian call, so he went to the biggest city in Macedonia, Philippi. And there in Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Remember, Paul was a Roman as well. So was Silas. So was uh, uh, Timothy wasn't, but he was a Greek. So he was accepted. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, su- where we suppose there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke with a woman who had come, with women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Lydia. Some theologians say that really wasn't her name. She was from the region called Lydia, which was known for purple cloth. Others say that was her name, and she was named after that reason. But she was from Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. So she was a fashionista. This is who she was. And who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well. Now the word household is a Greek word called oikos. It means your circle of influence. I want you to hold on to that. We're going to come back to that. And she urged us saying, if you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us and we were going to to the place of prayer uh, while we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I love that about Paul. You have to guess where he stood. He's going like, Really? Really? He turns to the, and says to her, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, that was an interesting decision that Paul made to cast that demon out. But here you got Lydia, a fashionista, and a former demon-possessed slave girl. I don't think that's a great launch team for a new church plant. But this is what God was doing. God was bringing things together. Because Jesus had become the director of the movement and not Paul, Paul and his team experienced the uncommon life that Jesus has for them. They started out saying, well, let's just go where we've been. And God said, no, 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 no. I'm running this, not you. And I'm going to change your direction, not you. What about you? When you say yes to Jesus, you know you make some big decisions? You decide to give up your rights. Your rights to location, your rights to vocation, your rights to prosperity, your rights to direction. You give up your rights. Would you say yes to Jesus? Because he's the Lord of us. And Paul experienced this uncommon movement of God because he said yes to Jesus before he asked. And he said, let's go. Jesus, 
You are leading this. You've heard me say this, and I'll say it again. I am not the senior pastor of this church. Jesus is. I'm just the lead pastor. That's all I am. Jesus is the senior leader here, not me. We get our cues from Jesus. How do we know it's Jesus? Through his word, through prayer, through uh, circumstances, and through unity in the body. That's why tonight we're going to come together. We're going to talk about phase one and what our building expansion may look like because we move together in unity. I will never announce something to you and say, hey, here's where we're going. I will say, hey, I think this is where we should go. What do you think? Is that fair? And so tonight at five, and we're going to take care of your kids too, so bring all your 5,000 children and come tonight. And we're going to talk about these things. And we're going to look forward to what God is doing because Jesus is the director. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the king. He is the senior pastor of this church. But he is the Lord of my life. Is he you? These two women were unusual, unusual, uncommon. Lydia was used by God. Some theologians, and I think this is right, believe that she returned to Thyatira and started a church there. Why? Because we do not have biblical evidence that Paul or Silas or Timothy or Titus or any of that crew ever went to Thyatira. But there's a church in Thyatira because it's mentioned in the book of Revelation as one of the seven churches of the Revelation. Somebody had to start it. I believe it was Lydia. She was converted, came to Christ, was baptized, then used her influence, her household, her oikos, and went back home and started a movement all for Jesus. Kind of amazing to me. Notice that word household. This is important. Household, oikos. It's not a yogurt. It's a Greek word. God has placed you in a circle of influence for his glory. You have an oikos. You have an oikos. If you look and take the center of your life, you realize, who am I influencing? Well, hopefully you're influencing your family, and then hopefully you're influencing your friends, and hopefully you're influencing your coworkers and the students who you're around, and you're influencing, and hopefully maybe you're, maybe you're like really influential. Tara and I went to, uh, to Dillard's this past weekend. And uh, she scurries off upstairs to the women's. Y'all ever notice that the women's clothing is like 50 times more than men's? Have you ever noticed that? Because us men are pretty simple. You know, give us a pair of britches and a shirt and we're good. You girls are all into fashion. That's fine. We like it. Um, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Okay, anyway. So I'm down there poking around looking for awesome shirts like this one. I bought this one. Isn't it good looking? Yeah brings out my eyes. Anyway, I, um, I was just kind of walking around down there and there was this lady who was kind of trying to help me and she just says right out of the blue, all for Jesus. I went, what? I looked at her, she goes, all for Jesus. I went, yes ma'am, all for Jesus. She said, I was reading your bracelet. <laughs> it says all for Jesus. I said, yes ma'am, I'm a pastor. And then she began to tell me her life story, <laughs> including how old she was. And like the whole deal. And, and it was just like, what? And I've told y'all, I've had these experiences where people just come up to me and start talking to me. You know what that is? My oikos. My oikos. 
Tara and I had a meeting with someone in San Antonio about a business deal and it turned into an opportunity to talk to her about King Jesus. She might be listening online right now. I don't know. It's the oikos. Get your head on a swivel and realize Jesus has placed you where he wants you to be influential for him. It's not about you. It's about him. And when you start living for him, your life will take on a peace and a calm and a reward that you'd never imagined. When you live for you, you're going to be anxious, pensive, and worried. When you live all for Jesus, you're going to be free. Because when the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Free indeed. Oikos influence. Lydia and her household trusted Christ. Lydia used her influence as a fashionista. This slave girl used her influence and created a ruckus in Philippi. Paul grew annoyed with that girl. I think that's hilarious. And that set in motion yet another deliverance. So an uncommon conversion will lead to an uncommon deliverance. But when her owners saw, and I'm reading again out of Acts 16, when her owners, that's the slave girl's owners, had saw that her hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the, to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking him, and the magistrate tore the garments off of them. He gave them orders to beat them with rods, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet into stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. These guys were crazy. Now, what they failed to mention to the people that beat them, that they were Roman citizens, and what they were doing was illegal, and they, they all repented that later. They went, oh, we're sorry. And Paul, you have to read the rest of the story. It's awesome what Paul makes them do. And they were singing, and the prisoners were listening. Their oikos was listening to them. They were beaten, bloodied, chained, and singing. And the other guys were going, what? What's going on here? These guys have lost their minds. Lost their minds. And they were singing. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Their singing must have been bad. There was a whole lot of shaking going on. All right, so thank you very much. And so that the found, that was Elvis, by the way. Okay. And the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer woke, and he saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, brother, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling in fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul realized that this old boy needed more than just rescuing from his own device or demise. He knew he needed something. He needed Jesus. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your oikos, your circle, your household. And they spoke the words of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And they were all saved and baptized that night. And the Bible goes on and says, and the jailer cleaned their wounds and the next morning it was revealed they were Roman citizens and they were ceremoniously released. And Paul never went back to Philippi. But Philippi never forgot Paul. Paul and Silas were arrested and beaten and there was no shock. 
If you're going to live all for Jesus, you can expect adversity. Some of you might say, well, that's resistance. No, that was persecution. And there's difference between resistance and persecution. Persecution comes from the outside in. Resistance comes from the inside out. Did y'all get that? Persecution comes from the outside in. Resistance comes from the inside out. In the church, y'all, we have to make sure that our unity is so tight, we do not have resistance of carnality, but unity and the bond of peace. Mm, that got no amens. I'm scared now. How could these two guys sing in prison? Bloody, bloody beaten, shackled, facing a, a demise. Maybe Paul said, dude, when they find out that we're Romans, they're going to let us out of here. Maybe he had a good attorney, Colin. Don't worry, we're going to call up Colin. He's going to get us out of here. But they had this, this tension. But you know what? These guys, well, Paul said it this way. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Uh, I who live but Christ who lives in me. And, and the life I now live is by faith. Uh, in the flesh is I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm cool. I'm a dead man. I don't live for me. I live for Jesus. If I'm beating them, if I'm changing, it don't matter. It's just a little while. Jesus is Lord. In fact, Paul said this to the church. He wrote the church in Philippi who knew about this. He said, hey, 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 hey. Life is hard and it gets harder. But Jesus is Lord. So I'm going to rejoice. That's what he said in the first chapter of the Philippians. Life is hard, gets harder. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I'm going to rejoice. Wow. He later says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit, in other words, the spirit that influences your oikos, make known to all the Lord is near. He wrote that to the church in Philippi. From prison in Rome. He was no stranger to a prison. Wow. And the greatest question ever asked in the book of Acts comes from this Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. You see, Judaism says this. If you're going to be saved, you've got to keep all the law. All of it. All of it. Over 2,000 regulations just for keeping the Sabbath day and making it holy. Over 2,000 regular. You got to keep all of those. In fact, when Jesus said, hey, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye, but a log in your own. You know what the speck in the brother's eye was? A small ceremonial infraction because you didn't stand up or you didn't do something right in a gathering. Something small, minor. And the log was a grievous sin. And, and Judaism says, you got to keep all this law. Greco-Roman paganism said, you better not tick off the gods. You get the gods mad, you're done. So you better go to their temples and you better worship them. You better give them your sacrifices. You better do all the things. You better bring your money to the priest. You better do all these things because you're not going to be saved unless you keep the, keep the gods happy. And listen to what Paul says to the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. What? Yeah. 
Just believe. Have y'all noticed that every time I speak to you guys, at the end of the gathering, I always offer you an opportunity for you to pray and receive Jesus? Do you know why I do that? Because I want you to get saved. I want you to believe. Listen, this is going to go. You don't even have to pray that prayer to be right with God. All you have to do is believe. Why do I have you pray that prayer with me? Because with the heart you believe and the mouth you confess resulting in righteousness. Doesn't that sound like a conversion of the head and the heart to give you the will to do what pleases God? Have you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth? Then you're saved. Well, I haven't kept all the Baptist rules. Neither have I. But it's not about that. I haven't kept all the Catholic rules or the Methodist rules or the Presbyterian rules or the Jewish rules or the Greco-Roman rules. It's not about that. I have a relationship with God through Jesus because I have called upon his name and have been saved. What about you? What about you? And if you have been saved, are you living saved? Are you still living in fear and in bondage? Are you still living in anxiety and worry? Are you living in freedom? Freedom. I don't know about you, but on my best days, I'm a dumpster fire. But I've got a King Jesus who's taking this dumpster fire and he's warming the world with it. What about you? And I read about this stuff and I go, how does this apply to me? Then I realize all of this is about bringing glory to God. Paul planted a church in Philippi with a fashionista, a slave girl, and a jailer. That was their launch team. Lydia, a slave girl, and a jailer. This church was known for its love and generosity. When Paul was in need, this was the church that out of their great poverty, they gave to Paul and took care of him. No other church did this. Philippi did. He never went back, but he prayed for them and encouraged them and wrote them letters. In fact, the letter to him is commonly called the joy letter because he celebrated their love. This is so uncommon. So let me conclude with this. Conversion is a conviction in the heart that leads to a direction of your life. So here's my invitation to you this morning. Give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Say yes to Jesus. In a moment when I help you pray, pray and ask Christ to come into your heart. He will. He will. He'll do it. In fact, we, we've set up a baptistry out by the Hope Wall. If you, want to, if you want to pray and receive Jesus and be baptized today, we got you covered. Literally, we got shirts and t-shirts, t-shirts and shorts. We got you covered. We'd be glad to baptize you. Come to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Maybe it's time you started trusting him with your finances. Come back to Jesus. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't know who gives what to this church. It's none of my business. 
none of my business. But God's business is to get your heart in line with him. Maybe it's to come back to Jesus to use your influence in your oikos. And to get your head on a swivel and quit looking at yourself and look around you at others. And when you look around with others, you'll, you'll be amazed how God will take care of yourself. Or maybe it's go further with Jesus. I talked to a lady today and she said, Scott, I've been waiting two years for Jesus to show me what's next. I said, well, just be faithful right now. Just be faithful. He'll show you. I said, you know what? Maybe we need to get other people praying for you as well that God will reveal to you what he wants for you to do. She goes, that's a good idea. You think? That we're in this thing together. That we live all for Jesus together. And this is uncommon. A conversion in your heart that leads to direction of your life.